You're listening to the Real Estate Runway Podcast, powered by Quattro Capital, where we are all about alternative business and investment strategies to help you amplify life and maximize wealth. Here's your host, the recovering engineer turned multifamily investor, Chad Sutton. So today we have on the show, Mr. Reed Usens of RSM Partners. And we're going to focus today on building ecosystems within a business, recession proofing in a way, building multiple income streams that support the same river, if you will, right? So let's get into this and we'll talk about how we can add value to your business. All right, Real Estate Runway family, welcome to another episode of the Real Estate Runway podcast powered by Quattro Capital. I'm your host, Chad Sutton. And today we have the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Reed Goosens. In 2012, he quit his job in Australia and moved halfway across the world to the U.S. to change his life and chase a dream. With limited funds and no investing experience, no credit, Reed went from purchasing a single small duplex to growing his own real estate investing firm, RSM Capital. He now syndicates large multi-million dollar deals across the U.S. He's achieved financial freedom and taken control of his life. Not only has he done all of this, but he's a podcast host, Investing in the U.S. Get that anywhere podcasts are listened to, as well as a best-selling author, 10,000 Miles to the American Dream. I believe we'll talk about where we can find that later on in the show. Reed, welcome to the show. How are you doing, brother? Mate, I'm doing so well talking to you now, man. So thanks for having me. Yes, I love the accent. You know, I'm usually the guy with the, with the sexy accent, but man, today it sounds like it's you. So awesome. <laughs> well, thanks for having That's me. That's good stuff. Sorry, guys. I promise I'm married with children. Anyway, so, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have to ask, man. I mean, we usually start off telling a little bit of, you know, who you are and, and, and where you came from. I really want to hear the story. I mean, how did you decide to up and leave everything you've ever known and come to the US and chase a dream. Let's go there first. Mate, it really started back in 2008, uh, 2009, I should say. I was in the south of France backpacking around. I was working on a mega super yacht, they're called, for a Russian billionaire as you know, I, I just was, was backpacking. And I bumped into this American girl on the beaches of Spain. I fell in love with her. I subsequently then backpacked through the US in, in the late 2009, early 2010. And I fell in love with New York City and far, like fast forward a little bit. I, I moved back to Australia in 2010. Erica, this, this, this girl that I was chasing actually coincidentally moved to the uh, moved to Australia to, to, to do a master's degree. And she, we, we lived in Australia together for a couple of years. And then after those couple of years, I was like, look, let's go. And I want to live in the US. I want to live in, in New York City. I want to just you know, live there as an expat. And there was an incredible visa for Australians to, to, to live and work here. So it was like, well, let's, let's just let's just do it. You know, I'll chase you, <laughs> chase this girl. And for everyone listening out there, it did work out. She's now my wife. So happy endings. But yeah, it really just became, it was more of an itch that I needed to scratch and something that I would like, I would hate to wake, wake up when I'm 70 years of age going, gosh, I wish I'd, I'd, I'd moved to the United States. And, and, and let me tell you, Chad, like I didn't ever move to this country thinking that I'd get involved in real estate to the scale of which I've grown it to. I really just came as an expat, was going to come for a couple of years and then move back to Australia. That was it. And, uh, and obviously, a lot has happened since then. So, so, yeah. That's pretty incredible. Talk about grab life by the horns or whatever, whatever cliche thing you want to insert here. You did it, man. That's, that's pretty incredible. So... What exactly got you into real estate? I mean, you, you chased the girl over here, you got here, you made her your wife. That's pretty awesome. But how did you eventually get, you know, locked into this love for real estate that has grown into this business? Well, real estate actually started prior to moving to the US. So, so after that sort of couple of years gallivanting, backpacking around the globe, I was back in Australia, 2010, back in my cubicle, 
feeling like a very, you know, very small piece in a, in a large machine. I, my background, I studied structural engineering. I was back in an engineering firm and I just, I had more to give, right? I had more to do. I felt like a star athlete sitting on the sideline, watching my life go by. And that's when I picked up the book, Rich Dad Poor Dad. And that was the start of we'll call it the real estate journey. At the time, I had no idea what an entrepreneur was. It's just a you know, really fancy word for, for now I know it's just a really fancy word for a small business owner. But, but what I was searching for was something to give me financial freedom in order to live my life, in order to travel the world, in order to surf awesome surfing breaks across the globe. It then snowballed into, well, I'm a structural engineer. I'm already surrounded by development. I'm already surrounded by building things. Why not? Let's let's go into real estate because I could have gone into stocks and bonds. I could have gone into you know you know buying businesses, but I chose real estate because it just was it seemed like a natural path as a structural engineer. So that's where it started, and then I, I sort of went into sort of learning as much as I could, self education before moving to the US. Didn't end up doing anything in, in Australia. I, I could have pulled the trigger on like a fix and flip or a lease option, but I ultimately moved halfway across the world. And it wasn't until I came to the US that I quickly realized, one, the barriers to entry are so much smaller here than they are in Australia in terms of secondary and tertiary markets, but two, just how much there was the power of networking here. You know, I remember going to my first networking event in New York City, those real estate investment associations, you know, the rears that most major cities have, and it's been blown away with the with the sheer volume of information all at my fingertips. And within six months of being fresh off the boat, I used the money that I'd left, saved in my, my, piggy, my piggy bank, and I bought a property all cash for 38,000 bucks because a $38,000 property would not exist in Australia. So that's the sort of, you know, the emphasis so the, the impetus to get involved in real estate and then the taking action part was was all through coming to the US, learning about the US, investing, and then taking action. That's fantastic. I always love finding other little purple book brothers because I was one of those guys who it was like it's a paradigm shift, right? But then the next step is okay, that changes your paradigm. Now you have to do something with it. And wow, being a structural engineer and having basically knowing how things go together and subsequently come apart, that's kind of valuable in this space a little bit, you know? So, okay, you bought a place, you got into real estate. We're going to fast forward way forward because your story is so grand and out there. We know that you succeeded and got past the duplex world. So, Let's talk a little bit, you know, in the spirit of the word entrepreneur, which, you know, according to my father meant you just don't have a job, but you know, anyway, we, we've, we've educated them now, you know, so they're now investors of mine and they, I think I'm a favorite kids. I've made them the most money, but anyway, you know, we won't, hopefully my brother and sister don't listen to this show. So, okay. You get into this and we're talking about now, not only investing in real estate, which is a skill, but being an entrepreneur, which is being a business owner. So one thing mm -hmm. that I think you're recognized for is the ability and, and the track record of having built some ecosystems to not only recession-proof the business, but to you know kind of really streamline operations, surround yourself with an A-team. So I'd love to kind of unpack your brain a little bit on that. And sure. just let's, let's talk about how do we build a robust business? How do we recession-proof the thing? And you know what sort mm -hmm. of people do you need to be surrounding yourselves with? What's your take? So, so much stuff in there, right? And we need to unpack. And, and I think really where it starts from is in this business of real estate and really in any business, I picked up a book called Key Person of Influence many years ago, and it talks about nothing to do with actually real estate, but becoming a KPI in your sphere. So what does that mean? Well, any business owner, people view you and will invest with you, whether you're in real estate or you sell a widget or you're a doctor or you're a dentist. If you're trying to be a leader in the space, you need to put yourself out there as a bit of a thought leader. That means you need to create, you need to think of yourself as a business first and foremost, you, me, like so my, my personal brand. So when I first started in this business, I needed to raise money. Well, anyway, I didn't have a lot of credibility. So the way I went about it was 
starting a podcast, creating a platform where I could talk to other incredible entrepreneurs, incredible business owners, CEOs, investors about what they've built here in the US. And that gave me credibility, right? Then through that, I was recognized, you know, had a book, you know, all these other, you know, awesome things come out of, of creating uh, different evergreen content online that people could then start looking at me as a bit of a, I don't want to say thought leader, but in the space that I'm in, my circle could then see me as, okay, he's the real estate guy. And I never tried, I'm not trying to be Tony Robbins or Tim Ferriss, but you can be a KPI in your own sphere. You know, where you have a thousand raving fans that love everything that you do because they resonate with your story, right? They resonate with who you are, your vision, your mission, your values. So it starts with a bit of the, it starts with the personal branding on the front end to recession proof, because ultimately I'm putting my name on every single deal, right? I ask investors to invest with me. The deal actually comes secondary. And as I go, you know, as I build that track record, it becomes easier and easier to, to get investors to come on board. So that's the first sort of element of building a recession proof business is in and around, I could talk about the whole podcast about building a personal brand. The second thing is, is in around building an ecosystem. And, and what do I mean by that? Well, multifamily on a large scale, you know, hundreds of units is fundamentally what we're all investing in. That is the widget, right? That is the thing that is going to grow wealth over time. But there's other elements in the business that really, really intrigue me that you can also control. It may not be as profitable, but you can start making revenue from that. So what am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about asset management. I'm talking about construction management. I'm talking about, you know, I, I, I streamline some of my verticals into, I bulk buy materials from Asia, meaning flooring, granite, uh, plumbing supplies, you know, uh, lighting, everything that I can put into one of my units on scale and is replicable, replicable, I can do it at scale, which reduces the cost of my renovations, which thus increases the returns for my investors, right? I could also then go a step further, property management. I could bring that in-house. That could be a revenue source or a control of expenses that could help again, reduce my costs, thus increasing investors' return, also reducing risk. Another thing I can do is you know, bring in additional revenue sources. So maybe there is an internet fiber that I can bring into the into the property that I can charge tenants back for, but I maybe own that black fiber, right? And when I sell the property, I still have that ownership of that fiber and that the, the, the new owner is paying me a revenue to use my black fiber. There's so many different things. Trash valet, I, the list could go on, you know, uh, renter's insurance, every little, there's so many little different pieces of, of, of the multifamily business that when you start getting at scale, you can really start having other recurring revenues rather than just the cash flow from the property. That is great. And that's always going to be the dominant leg of your table, but there's got to be other legs that you can bring in income from, which in a recessionary you know, environment, you can rely on those things because you have built a portfolio. So everything in and around building portfolios, building at scale, and then building a, a smaller subsequent businesses within that portfolio is the definition of ecosystem, is the definition in my mind that one thing leads to another and one business supports the other business and one can't run without the other, but ultimately it makes a more valuable business because you have built that ecosystem. So I'm sure we can unpack a lot there, <laughs> but the, the, that is in general my high level view of personal branding, starting out, building your, your reputation, and then getting, once you get to some scale, you start bringing in things in-house like asset management, like construction management, 
start with the small stuff like bulk buying uh, materials. Now, you're not going to make any money on bulk buying, but you, you reduce your costs. I know big operators who have 10, 12,000 units, they've bought property management in-house. They've, you know, they've got renter's insurance that is now coming through their own policy. They've got trash valet companies. They've got internet companies. So all these things start adding value to not only the individual asset, but to the company as a whole. Yeah, so much to unpack there, right? So let's 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 like rewind and go back to point number one about the personal brand, you know. And so a lot of our listeners here are you know investors in different syndication groups around the country, not just in in our own deals. Some of them may even be yours. I don't know, but you know, I think that is a that's a key point from from a value perspective to the investor to the onlooker who is looking at at, at the the personal brand. There's a three-pronged approach to getting someone to invest with you, and they have to know you first, right? Then they have to like you, and eventually they have to trust you with their hard-earned money. Well, they can't do any of the, the like or trust if they don't know you. So to Reed's point is, okay, well, I'm starting to do this. I, I need a certain amount of capital you know, to, to put these projects together, but nobody knows who I am. So what does he do? He gets on the airwaves, right? And I think pod, I still, I'm, I'm doing a podcast right now. I think podcasting is still one of the best organic ways to spread influence around this country and people listen to it. You know, all you have to do is get on Apple and, and search for what you're looking for. And, you know, the, high, the most highly ranked shows will show up. So I think that's fantastic. And as an investor, you should really be looking for that. If you can't get to where you at least know the person you're investing with before you ever pick up the phone, you know, because they're out there enough, you should feel like you know them when you get on the phone for the first time. And I, I, that's a general rule, not always. I mean, some people are quieter about their their persona, but, you know, what are your thoughts on that, man? I, I feel like I feel like you have to be known and you have to be transparent that's right. And that goes, it goes back to that KPI status, the key person of influence. It's not about creating a brand that you're as big as Mark Zuckerberg, but you're, you can be an influence in your sphere of people who you know, right? You can influence a thousand people. You, you, know, you have friends and family who know, who know people who know people, right? And that's all I'm trying to do. You know, the people aren't always asking, why did you start podcasting? Well, first and foremost, I had a bit of a story to tell, you know, it was interesting enough. Someone would listen to it. You know, in the beginning, it was probably just my grandma and my mum. but over time people start to resonate, but it helps to your point of trust. It shrinks the time it takes to get to know and trust someone instead of taking back in the day before the internet, we, we used to you know live in our small communities and people would have word of mouth and you'd have to take time to build trust. It took you know years to build trust. Well, with podcasting and storytelling, you can condense that into someone getting to trust and like you more because I'm sharing my story. I'm sharing my vulnerabilities with people and people like that. So that is in and around why I like the power of building that personal brand. You know, I love that. And when you were saying that, I thought of a funny that I have to share here. So there's another guy that I listen to his podcast, a guy named JP Conklin. He's called the rate guys with Pensford. So he's one of the, you know, people like me and people like you read who care about interest rates all the time. You know, mm -hmm. we're nerds that listen to this kind of stuff. He mentioned, well, maybe it's just my mom or my grandma here. I think it was episode 82 on, if you want to go look at uh, the Rate Guy podcast, JP Conklin was talking about, yeah, we had about 17,000 downloads. And, you know, I think Half of them were from my grandma. Well, why is that? And he was like, well, she doesn't understand the download thing. She just keeps clicking it throughout the day, trying to get it to download with her dial-up internet. So anyway, half of them could be your grandma. I don't know, man, but total digression. You'll get used to that with me on this podcast. But back to your ecosystem side of things, you know, that is, I think, gold because it's a, it's a mindset and a mantra a little bit. You know, there's another book that goes with Rich Dad, Poor Dad called The Honeybee. It's written by my friends, Jake and Gino of the Jake and Gino community mm -hmm. out of Knoxville. 
And it's, it's a very interesting book because it not only talks about the paradigms that you see in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but it talks about as the business starts to grow, they had actually a rhyme. It's like you, you build a river and from which tributaries flow. And so the business grows or something like that. So what you're saying is you, you build the river, right? And so let's say the river is the widget. It's the apartment complex. And then you get maybe 15 of them, right? And now you've got a bunch of rivers flowing. Well, what if now you can, you know, as those rivers start to rage, you have tributaries that are flowing in and out of them and, and just feeding back into each other. So what Reed is saying is to build a recession-proof business it is not necessarily to get into so many different income streams that don't affect each other, because then you're kind of in too many industries and it's hard to track success and failure and where you need to grow, where you need to invest. But he's saying, look, I know the apartment market. I know like what he's, what he's keenly observed is where's all the money going? in my projects, right? I'm spending money on flooring. I'm spending money on lighting. I'm spending money on, my tenants are spending money on on uh, renter's insurance and, and just insert thing here. He's figured out how to insert himself in, in himself in multiple income streams, right? So he's profiting from about all aspects of the business, whether it be, so just curious, what all revenue streams do you have set up in RSM Capital right now from like going down that list? Yeah, our, yeah RSM Property Group is, um, we've got a couple of, and big shout out to Jake and Gino. I'm good mates with them. They're, they're great guys. Yeah, look, it just starts with what you can control. So I go back to the first deal I ever bought as the lead syndicator where I had that control, right? First and foremost is the control. I need to be in the lead syndicator spot so I can make those strategic decisions about what we're going to talk about. So the first deal I ever did, 192 units as a lead syndicator, I instantly knew from my days in structural engineering, from my days in ground up construction, is to try and bulk buy as many materials as I possibly can, right? In the ground up construction days, my developer that I used to work for, big boss of mine, old boss, he'd buy everything from the wood to the PVC pipe that goes in the ground to you know the tile that goes on the backsplash. And he'd buy it in bulk because then he's reducing the risk of the negotiation with the general contractor to just really negotiating labor, right? As best as he can, you know, elevators, you know, or, you know escalators are probably, you're not going to buy that. But I, how could I take some of those elements into multi existing multifamily? And I was like, well, okay, well, I'm doing a lot of unit turns, a lot of unit innovations. Okay, there's flooring I'm going to need. I'm going to need granite. I'm going to need, I didn't even start with granite. You know, there's flooring, there's lighting, and there's plumbing. Right, let's start with those three. All right, well, let's go buy 100 units worth of it and see how much I can reduce my, my cost. All right, I did, I did that once. This seems to work pretty good. good you know, good 40 to 50% reduction just in material costs. All right, let's, let's do it again. And as the, as, the, as the portfolio grew, I started to then have this like thing like a, a coffer, like you fill the coffer up and then it flows into the next coffer. Well, I had to keep that first coffer, coffer of materials at a certain level to feed all my properties. Again, that was just something very simple and easy that I developed with, uh, with, with a, a third-party business which that business has now come back to me over time and said, hey, Reed, could you help me raise money to grow my business and we'll give you a part of it? So it's different, like over the years when you start building businesses, you, you can see opportunities to, to not maybe not acquire, but invest in other people's businesses to again, help the ecosystem. So that's the first one. Property management's pretty pretty low on the, on, the, on the totem pole as well. I don't have property management in-house. I don't know if I'll ever bring it in-house. I may be forced to as the portfolio grows. But if you look at other bigger operators who've got to 10, 15, 20,000 units, they just bring it in-house because they're spending so much money on management fees. It just makes more sense to go out and hire your own staff members and, and run your own properties. It may not be a profit center, but it is an expense control center, which is very, very important as we come into very you know, low, interest, low cap rate environments where margins become a lot thinner. That's a 
Pause right there. What you just said is very important, folks. I see a lot of young operators, you know, who are trying, like, I'm going to go, I'm going to self-manage out of the gate. And I try to tell people, you know, and I'm curious to hear where your head is on these numbers as well. But, you know, I've, I've run the numbers on that myself. It, it's an overhead intensive business. It's a manpower intensive business, right? And in my opinion, you cannot start to turn a profit until you have at least 500 units in one area. Otherwise, you're, you're just paying more in overhead and, and systems than you should be in general on the property. So, I, I, and, you know, I've, I'm not going to name any names, but I know a lot of operators that do that. And they're, they're, you know, when I've looked at their properties, they're higher than we are with third party. So 100%. I think it's an economies of scale thing. But what you just said is gold. That you know, it's people with ten to twenty thousand units who are saying, "Wow, I'm paying so much," and it may not be a profit center. It's a, it could just be a cost center where you're controlling expense. So what that means to the, you know, to those who don't study things like cost of goods sold and, and numbers like that in a, in a pro forma, it means it's not the intent is not to make money, right? If if you're bringing this in house, the intent is to reduce the cost of it and the cost on your on your mainstream. So it might be a, it might be a tributary, and it might be a very weak tributary. But nonetheless, it's reducing your outflow, your outflow from the main tributary, right? So that, that's a big distinction. I'm glad you brought that up. And I want to also add one other thing. As you're growing a business, right, and in the multifamily space, what is your highest and best use? If it's just you and one business partner, maybe starting a property management company in the beginning isn't the best use of your time. Maybe it's better to go out and find more deals and add it to the portfolio so you get to that scale. So then you can flip the switch when it comes time to then say, okay, I'm going to bring property management in-house. I actually interviewed Keith Wasserman, who's the head of Gelt here in Los Angeles, has nearly over $2 billion under, under management, a multifamily investment firm. They still don't self-manage, right? Because they're in so many different markets, they can't attract the right talent. They need to go with the local groups that can. So on, when you're thinking big, like this is completely different scales of, we're not talking about seven figures, we're talking about eight or nine figures here of value where it's like, well, maybe it's, it's not worth my, worth my highest and best use to try and control this and just you know outsource it still while I can go and then grow the portfolio because that is making me, generating me more, more, more income ultimately. And that's, that's, I love that point that you just made right there. So just to feed off of it, highest and best use of your time, right? If you, let's, let's say you've gotten to that point and you have, I don't know, 10 properties under your belt. If you just take all of your income statements, including below the line expenses, and you just, just make a Pareto chart. If you don't know what a Pareto chart is, Google it guys, it's a necessary thing. But it simply, if you look at all the categories of, of expense outflows, it's going to show the biggest bar first, the second biggest bar second, third biggest bar. And it's going to give you this little chart that is going to really make very clear to you where you're spending your money, you know? And so, you know, if I'm just looking at my capital expenses and I were to do a Pareto chart, I'm probably going to see that it's either, it's either paint or it's flooring, right? It's probably the first two that are going to hit. And so you might say, wow, maybe I just need to go put myself a bulk buy agreement in with Shaw Industries or something like that, which I've done. That's, that's the, the point is the highest and best use of your time. Whereas on 10 properties, maybe that's three or 4% of your income, you know? And then you want to look at like the value of the portfolio as it grows as well, right? You know, you, you're, 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 you're adding an extra $50,000 to your NOI on a five cap is going to have a greater impact than trying controlling, you know, going and building a whole business from scratch. There just comes a time when you will get to a point of 
knowing to bring it in house. And, and I've observed a lot of investors on my podcast and just talking to them over the time. And it seems to be in and around the sweet spot or around five to 6,000 units, you start to bring that property management in house. Up until that point, it probably doesn't make sense because you're running sort of like a two to three man team or girl team, you know, managing a bunch of assets, but you're still using third party property management. So yeah, that makes sense. Well, we're coming up on the end of our time, but before we like close this ecosystem discussion, I interrupted you in the middle of, of going down the list of some of these these valuable points. So we've we've talked about you know possibly bringing renters insurance you know in house. We've talked about property management. We've talked about bulk buying certain you know capital expenditures being flooring, paint, you know faucets go down the line. What other tributaries, if you will, might Reed Goosens consider as a value add? The, the 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 other big one is cable cable income right i know a lot of companies have gone out and sort of partnered with third party operators sort of who provide the black fiber into the property so it, it not only helps me on the on the income side uh you know because i can charge tenants 50 bucks a month for 1 gig uh, speed internet. It cost me $23 a month, but I could take it a step further and go and actually own that fiber company across all my properties. And when I sell those properties, that fiber contract is in place and they still have to pay me my 23 bucks a month, right? It's only small dollars compared to selling, you know, a 30 million or $40 million deal. But those are the little things that as you start to grow your team, you can have someone just devoted to, Hey, go figure out this cable contract issue, internet contract issue. And I want to own it, you know, over the next five to five to 10 years. And ancillary incomes like that. Again, another one would be trash valet. I know other companies who bring trash valet in-house. Again, it's a management issue, but could be profitable if you if you have enough scale. And again, it's, it's, it's picking and choosing what your best, again, highest and best use is when you're coming to, to assess all these different uh, revenue generating uh, income streams. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so, you know, Reed has brought a lot of really good insights here and talking to my operators out there, you know, investors be looking for stuff like this, but you're not always going to see this on the front end you know, my operators out there, remember the Pareto chart, remember the highest and best use of your time and, and take these couple of notes to heart that Reed has mentioned and think about what else. I mean, wh- what else can you do? Perhaps, you know, some of us do water conservation programs. Can you somehow get, and remember number of toilets is not equal number of units. It's usually more. How many toilets on your property can you buy at one time, put them in a storage container for 400 bucks for a month and and go install them rather than buying them one at a time when you turn units. So you just, this is being creative guys. It's really good stuff. All right, Reed. So we have to now get into the Quattro Trio, three questions we ask everyone on the show here. So first one, good sir, if you had to pick a superpower, in this business or in life, what would your superpower be? What is it? Hmm. I think if I'm looking back on superpower, I think it would have to be my today's superpower is international perspective coming from another country where multifamily doesn't exist on the scale that it does here in the US. And I'll say to all your listeners, the US is a very unique beast in the Western world that you, in terms of multifamily commercial real estate, you do not see the same type of scale as you do. Like I don't, multifamily garden style on three, 400 units just doesn't exist in Australia. It doesn't exist in Europe. It doesn't exist in, in Canada. The financing to do that, it's a whole different podcast in itself, is, is what brings us to you know really, really incredible lending opportunities. And that makes the US, in my opinion, the best in the Western world for yield on commercial assets. So that right now, that's my superpower, having that international perspective, looking at it with a different lens than maybe your average American who, who sort of maybe not, doesn't know what happens outside of, of the country in terms of you know investing in investment opportunities. I definitely second that. that. That's a pretty key piece of advice or, or you know, 
insight to have. And, and I, I know a couple of other expats who have come and told me stories and like, wow, you know, the perspective that you come into the country with is, is a whole nother ballgame here. So question number two, if you had to throw out your biggest failure in life or in business, what would it be? And what did it teach you? Biggest failure. Um, it's also okay to say you've never failed. I mean, reading was awesome. <laughs> no, we've always felt like I, from my very first deal that I bought $38,000, I had a, it wasn't a failure, it was just lessons, right? I had a drive-by shooting. My first flip prop project, I had the GC steal a bunch of product from site. I've had massive six-figure water leaks on, on one of my multifamily properties. I've had business partner issues. <laughs> so there's a lot in there. There's no failure. Looking back on my life, there's no one particular failure. They're all lessons. So for those people who are sitting on the sideline, I would encourage people to maybe as a takeaway, learn to bet on yourself. You you are worthy of taking that next step. And I'm sort of here to say that if, if I can move halfway across the goddamn world and, and achieve this, then it's because I bet on myself, right? So so can you. So it may be not necessarily a failure, but a bit of sort of a reflection of my life that other people could use in their life to go out and take action. I love that. You're probably the only person who took that question and turned it into success. That's awesome. So well done. Well done. All right. Last question. So you are a podcast host and you're an author. Tell us about both of those and where they can be found. Sure. Easiest way is just Google investing in the US. Reed Goosens. That's R-E-E-D-G-O-O-S-S-E-N-S. The podcast, the podcast created two books. The first book is called Investing in the US, The Ultimate Guide to US Real Estate. And the second book is called 10,000 Miles to the American Dream, Our Story of Financial Freedom. And both those books have really been additional evolutions of the podcast into written form and, and, and other digital assets. So, so check them out online and you know it's you can go to my website as well, reedgoosens.com and they're all up there and you can, you can check it out. And if you're ever coming through Los Angeles, definitely hit me up on my email, which is info at reedgoosens.com and we can meet up and talk a bit of shop. That's fantastic, Reed. Well, folks, all of that will be in the show notes as usual. Scroll down to the bottom of this episode. And if for some reason, Apple has been cutting off show notes lately, just click the little button at the bottom right corner of the show notes that says episode website, and it will all be there. I promise. Don't try to write this stuff down while you're driving down the road. Be safe. And you'll be able to get in touch with Reed at any of those places, find his book, find his podcast. Reed, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, sharing such the values, talking about ecosystems and how to recession-proof your business with multiple income streams. It's a very unique topic, and I don't think we've had anyone do it yet. So thank you for coming. Hey, man, my pleasure. Keep up the great work, and uh, I'll see you next time. All right, everyone, this has been another episode of the Real Estate Runway Podcast. For now, over and out. We hope this episode was insightful and brought value to your day. If so, please be awesome and leave us a five-star review. Find out how Team Quattro can help you at thequattroway.com. Until next time, this is the Real Estate Runway Podcast.